Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to Sox Machine Live. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Thursday night, May 23rd, 2019, as the Chicago White Sox just wrapped up a series against the Houston Astros. First four games of Hell Week, not too bad. The first two games weren't fun. But it was a reversal of fortune in games three and four for the White Sox against the Astros. We'll recap the series in Houston and preview the upcoming series as the White Sox continue this road trip as they head to Minneapolis to play against the Minnesota Twins for the first time this season. Yes, the first time this season the White Sox and Twins play. It's way too late in the season for that to happen, but that's just my opinion. Joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. Before we get into the nitty-gritty of what happened in Houston, are you enjoying the random trip down memory lane remembering the 2016 White Sox? Enjoying? I guess... I would say it's better that it's happening when players are on different teams besides the White Sox and still petty and <laughs> and uh, and everything on the south side is relatively normal by comparison. Yeah, I think it's been enlightening, that's for sure. And I like learning about things that have happened in the past and learning more about the dysfunction that ruined the White Sox first attempt at rebuilding. But yeah, it's, uh, you know... It's just another time where the White Sox get in the uh, get in the national public eye for uh, you know reasons that are less than savory. Although in this case they didn't do anything wrong, it just happened to be history brought up again that pe- for people who weren't watching the first time. True, I do find it fascinating that in today's baseball reporting we didn't hear about this fight that took place between Todd Frazier and Adam Eaton. Well, it. it- it was said. Um, David Kaplan talked about it one time. Um, trying to think, well, I think it was Bruce Levine talked about it another time. But just you know, kind of uh, the way they talked about it was 
they just said a fight. They didn't say it actually came to blows. It was it was right. like it an was argument. Like, yeah. Like actual fisticuffs. What's you know, Avi Garcia made it sound like when he was asked about it. But yeah, it, was, it sounded like a confrontation of some sort had been reported. But yeah, the details were slow to come out. And I guess that's you know part of, uh, yeah, I would assume maybe clubhouse politics with beat writers try not to get too into it, but or at least, you know, not report everything that they hear, but can't entirely verify. But yeah, it, it's uh, yeah, just I guess further you get from it, the more you can, I guess, allow other people to fill in the gaps or run with things that maybe weren't official at the time now that the parties are, you know, distant from the White Sox and then see if it's verified. And yeah, it seemed to be verified by Avi. So with this random trip down memory lane about the 2016 White Sox, has your opinion about that season changed? Uh, no, I mean, it was a disaster and it was all, you know, the same, I guess, you know, Adam Eaton, I, you know, I, didn't quite understand all the talk about him being a phony, or at least, you know, nobody provided uh, concrete examples of that. Uh, you know, when he was, they said he was unpopular, said that he, uh, um, you know, somebody talked a good game, but teammates hated him, but nobody really backed it up. And I thought that was a little bit unfair when Eaton was in the clubhouse because he was, you know, one of the few White Sox actually playing well. And, you know, it's, it's one thing to get mad at somebody like Adam LaRoche, who is not hitting at all and then is, uh, you know, wasting time bringing his kid on the field. But when it comes to somebody like Adam Eaton, who is playing, you know, at an all star level, it seems weird to have guys who aren't carrying the weights, you know, trying to undermine them through the media or whatever. So I thought that was unfair. But then when Eaton, you know, he, he and Todd Frazier had this uh, you know, argument on the field and then after afterwards, you know, Eaton was trying to paint himself as the bigger man. And he said, you know, I'm a, I'm 30 years old. I have two kids and a mortgage. And then Frazier must have picked up on that because Frazier, you know, when Frazier was told about Eden's comments, he said, you know, go pay your mortgage. I don't know what to tell you. And then Eden admitted that he didn't have a mortgage, <laughs> that, he, that he lied about having one to make himself more relatable, uh, you know, to, I guess, you know, humble himself or, you know, which is just, you know, that's that's the kind of thing that's unnecessarily phony. You know, why would you do that? If everybody knows what you make, your salary's on the public. You know, you know nobody's going to think you're middle class and, and uh, you know, on a 30-year uh, with a 4% APR or adjustable rate, you know, nobody's going to think he's going to be, you know, behind the uh, – you know, behind a payments or anything like that. So he didn't need to say that, but he did, you know, to, you know, to assume this position as some – you know, blue collar guy. And so that's where I thought like, Oh, that's, you know, if, if he slipped up and, and, and made that obvious of a mistake, then there were probably a bunch of little things along the way that annoyed people. And, you know, it, it probably accumulated into these arguments that turn into fisticuffs. Well, if you would like to hear more about our thoughts on the 2016 season, I recommend listening to season three of this podcast when it went by a different name. Uh, I, yeah, I, I assume that you know people just joining us eventually do go back and listen from the start of episode one just to make sure they don't miss anything and get all the end jokes and <laughs> yeah. threads and Easter eggs that we leave. You know, I, I would expect nothing exactly. less. Yeah, people listen to sports podcasts just like they do for like TV shows, right? Yeah, completists. Yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a wonderful podcast season. It really is. You get a mix of everything. Our writers season. are great. <laughs> uh, but we have good stuff to talk about. So let's move that aside. The Chicago White Sox. Again, this was hell week because they were facing the two best teams in Major League Baseball 
on the road for seven straight games. And after the series in Houston, they split. They lost the first two games, but they won games three and four. And Jim, it's like this series flipped halfway through. Game one, Brad Peacock was great on the mound for Houston, and the White Sox couldn't muster any offense. Game two, they had one hit. One damn hit. Uh, But that was a solo home run by Jose Abreu against Justin Verlander, in which Verlander struck out 12 batters over eight innings. That was the best start against the Chicago White Sox in Justin Verlander's career. And he's made 45 starts against the White Sox in his career. So that carries a lot of weight. That's how good Verlander was in Game 2. But in Game 3, the offense came alive against Garrett Cole of all starting pitchers, especially Aloy Jimenez, who hit two home runs in that game. And he hit another home run tonight uh, to help spark the offense in a 4 to nothing win And offensively, Jim, I think Aloy is the difference maker in this series, helping spark the turnaround. Uh, Either him or Charlie Tilson. (laughs) The random grand slam from Charlie Tilson. That was pretty awesome. But no, I think that Aloy, when he's on, um, and and staying back on breaking ball, like when he's on, he can cover the, like that, that fastball he hit out to the left. That was inside 90, inside corner, 94 miles per hour. Just roped it, 19 degree launch angle, 112 miles per hour over the wall and left. Yeah, it's hard to get around that pitch, much less elevate it to the pole field and drive it out as hard as he did. And, you know, that's awesome. And that's the, uh, I guess, illustrative of his bat speed. Um, and then, you know, he had the ability to also drive the ball out to right for a homer. So he covered both parts of the field. I think right now his biggest problem still is staying back on breaking balls when they attack him. I think he still gets a little bit anxious. Uh, it swings over the top of it, gets in the bad counts that way, and then is at the mercy of pitchers. But if he can tame that instinct to, uh, I guess, get a little bit too far out in front of uh, soft stuff, then I think he'll, yeah, and that's the thing a lot of young hitters face. It's not something that's unique to him. Uh, then, yeah, I think we'll see his physical tools eventually play up and, and that strength to all fields just be a more regular occurrence. Now, you mentioned Charlie Tilson. Charlie Tilson keeps on hitting. He had another hit tonight. He's got a batting average over 300. And I've noticed we are not seeing a lot of Ryan Cordell. And if you remember, Rick Renteria said not too long ago that Cordell was going to keep playing until he proved that he couldn't. Jim, is Cordell the fourth outfielder now on the bench with Eloy back and Tilson staying hot at the plate? Uh, right now, it kind of looks like it. I would say that it, part of it is facing a slew of tough righties. Uh, you know, Peacock with the slider, Verlander, Cole. Uh, yeah, that's just a, a string of righties in a row that Cordell might not stand a great chance at. And, you know, Tilson, Garcia... Jimenez, you know, if you're getting Jimenez back in the lineup, you know, that's, uh, I think Garcia and Tilson give you a better chance against those pitchers. Uh, Jimenez didn't uh, against uh, Verlander, but uh, Verlander will do that to a rookie. Uh, but I, I think, uh, you know, maybe when the schedule evens out and there's more, you know, mix of lefties and ordinary righties, I think you'll see Cordell get back in. I wouldn't mind seeing him or Eloy, you know, just have a rotation going through at DH because Yonder Alonso isn't doing much. And, uh, you know, whether it's to give Alonso a breather or whether it's to start putting a, a, a dent in his plate appearance total before his option, you know, becomes a threat. I wouldn't mind seeing you know, the White Sox run through a couple of uh, uh, you know, guys at DH, you know, whether it's Cordell or Tilson. You know, maybe you don't want 
to exhaust all your center fielders in case uh, Leori gets hurt somehow <laughs> trying to make him play in center field. But uh, I imagine you could rotate one of them through once or twice a week uh, at the DH spot just to give him at bats because I think uh, yeah, Tilson I think might be a better use of those at bats than Cordell, but I think Cordell is a better use of those at bats than Alonso. Yeah, I don't want to get too deep into the Yonder Alonso conversation because then that brings up Rick Hahn's latest interview in which I don't follow the logic with and I don't I I'm trying to stay positive here, Jim. Mm-hmm. I don't want to I don't want to get upset because there's still things that are not making sense behind the scenes, but what's on the field I think this, these past two games has been good for this White Sox rebuild, especially the pitching. The pitching in all four games of this series was a lot better than what I was expecting. In game one, it was a bullpen game, but they only gave up three runs, which is terrific, uh, and they only had to use five relievers in that game. Uh, Dylan Covey and Aaron Bummer, they had one bad inning, allowing four runs of the fourth inning in game two. It happens. Yvonne Nova in Game 3 lasted longer than Garrett Cole because of a triple play. That's pretty sweet. Uh, and then three double plays. So Nova was a bit lucky. The defense really backed him up. But you take it. And in Game 4, Lucas Gilito. I don't know what we could say about this guy. It's like every single time we have an episode, Jim, we have to dedicate five minutes to Lucas Gilito at least uh, and all I can say is thank you to whoever body snatched him after the 2018 season uh, because this has been an amazing stretch for Giolito. He threw a complete game shutout, only four hits allowed, with nine strikeouts and one walk against the best offense in Major League Baseball. Now, the Houston Astros did not have George Springer in this series, and I think that is a difference, Jim. Mm-hmm. But we've been on Don Cooper in the past couple weeks to start getting these pitchers to make adjustments. I think we saw them in these four games. Did you see anything different from the pitching staff against the best offense in baseball? Well, I think Ivan Nova, this was the form that we expected to see more, more of a ground baller uh, pitch to contact type who will have some rough nights because the contact doesn't work out or is louder than you think, but also does get grounders more often than not. And, you know, I think it's an excessive amount of uh, double plays and the triple play you mentioned, you know, you can't count on that every time, but uh, he was due one of those games, um, you know, or that's one of the games he, that's one of the types of games he does have, I should say, uh, going with the high fastballs and giving up a ton of homers. That's not who he was supposed to be. So, uh, you know, I'm not quite sure if it's a turning point or if it's a random, you know, decent lucky outing and he'll be back to giving up homers and bunches, but it was the kind of guy who the White Sox acquired, like that was the Pittsburgh Nova that they thought they were getting. And, and uh, I, I felt good about calling, like that's the other thing is about, yeah, uh, Nova, he's he's picked up wins against Trevor Bauer and now Garrett Cole. Like he's getting some heads on his wall that are pretty impressive. Um, but, uh, and that's kind of why I picked the White Sox to split. I'm kind of going with the uh, George Costanza uh, opposite of what should happen as my, uh, series victory thing. So I, I picked Nova to, to beat Cole and uh, somehow that worked out randomly with a lot of luck. But no, that, that seemed more along the lines of that kind of guy. And I'm hoping that that's the Nova we see where it's, he's going to have some bad games, going to have some good games, but it's because the contact just beats him, not because he's uh, giving up lasers over the wall. Uh, Giolito, yeah, it's, it's uh, a completely different he succeeded and he succeeded in a couple different ways that's i think what i'm most encouraged about we've seen him go fastball we've seen him go fastball changeup this one was fastball slider uh he was 
pushing the Astros around with his fastball. He's averaging like 95 with it, topping 97 at times with it, up in the zone, uh, down in the zone. And then, you know, second time, third time through, the slider started coming out and really a lot of depth in the slider. Um, sometimes I thought it was a curveball given how much it was breaking down, but it was just a really good hard slider with late break that was the, the Astros were just completely uh, puzzled by. And, and so that's when I, when I look at Giolito and trying to figure out how much is sustainable, um, I'm feeling better and better just because it seems like it's really hard to plan against him if uh, the Astros, a team as good as the Astros, as gifted as the Astros, um, really can't come out and know exactly which kind of Giolito they're facing that night. I think the key at bat, if you rewatch the game, is Giolito's battle against Michael Brantley that first time up because Brantley was on everything. And... McCann and Giolito were trying to find something to work against Brantley. But I think that was the at-bat that maybe there was an adjustment mid-game, Jim, that because it was very heavy on the fastball and changeup in the first inning. But I wonder if it will come out in the, the post-game stories out of the clubhouse. If McCann decided with Giolito, we're going to have to throw more sliders because they were. it looked like to me early on the Astros were sitting on the changeup. And maybe that's the book on Lucas Giolito right now is if you see fastball, make the quick adjustment, but he's probably going to start attacking you with changeups and try to stay back. But I think you're right. If they're going to start incorporating the slider more, uh, I do think it just takes Giolito's game to another level. I mean, Jim, Lucas Giolito is 6-1 and one on the season. I know when losses don't mean anything, but he's 6-1. and one. He's got a 2.77 ERA. So if you are old school with the pitching stats, that's amazing. His batting average against right now is 196. He's got a 1.06 whip. This is incredible as far as the turnaround. And he's only allowed three home runs over 52 innings. Yeah, (laughs) everything is looking great. And that was, uh, he answered the one criticism I had, or at least the one thing I'd wanted to see from him is, you know, posting a great line against a good offense. He'd been a great bum slayer. He'd, you know, beaten the Blue Jays and the Indians and, and, and these lesser offenses and held him down and, and padded his numbers that way. But facing the better offenses of the American League, he struggled. He had a seven-plus ERA against top-half offenses in the AL. And so this is, even with Springer out and Altuve out, still a tough lineup, still an offense that makes him work. And, you know, they did hit some balls hard. Gurriel had a couple... Hard hit liners. Uh, you know, Brantley had a couple line drives or or, or, or well hit balls that uh, you know one of them turned into a double play. Um, but it's a lineup that can still make him throw a lot of pitches, can still force him to rack up a pitch count, even if they're not going to do damage the way like a Springer does damage. Um, and he found a way to answer it. I mean, like, and part of it was setting up great counts time and time again. He had three different innings where he didn't throw a pitch out of the zone. And <laughs> he was just setting up, you know, uh, two strike counts with the fastball and then, you know, getting him looking fastball and then just dropping that slider and throwing it down and away to righties and, and these these swings that were just helpless. Uh, that's what you want to see, just the uh, the guy going for the kill and executing it. But that's different, though. So yeah. often with White Sox pitchers, we watch them throw a throwaway pitch and they get ahead 0-2, right? They throw something in the dirt or going back to 2016, like with Chris Sale, he'd just throw, try to throw that back 
knee slider, right? There's no chance it's going to come across as a strike in the strike zone, but he's throwing that pitch to get the hitters to chase if they're being overly aggressive. And we're seeing in Major League Baseball, hitters are not really chasing those 0-2 pitches like they used to because they understand that pitchers are throwing away a pitch. And it gets a bit frustrating because if you miss on that, okay, it's 1-2. If you throw another pitch to try to get the hitter to chase and you miss, okay, now you're back even 2-2. Two and two. And if you really try to get precise and you miss again, well, now it's full count. Now all of a sudden you get behind the hitter. That's why I thought this was very refreshing. And you were tweeting it out like how many strikes Giolito was throwing on the pitches per inning. And maybe that doesn't work every single outing, but it's hard to argue against the strategy when Giolito just pulled this off against, at the time, the best offense in Major League Baseball, Jim. Yeah, and especially I think it, it works. It's probably a strategy that works a lot better when throwing 96, 97 versus sure. 91 to 93. <laughs> you know, having that fastball, it's probably fun for him. Like, holy crap, this is uh, pitching is so much easier this year. Uh, I, I think it's easier for him mechanically repeating his results. And I think it's also a lot simpler just watching the way hitters respond to his stuff. Uh, when they're late on fastballs, you know, barely foul tipping stuff up in the zone, then the, the, amount of available pitches probably looks so much bigger to both him and McCann that, you know, calling pitches is pretty much straightforward. Fastballs, you know, set up a breaking pitch to a uh, right-handed hitter or a changeup to a lefty and, you know, just keep it that simple and then wait for them to force you out of your element and, and make you pitch backwards. And they never did. Well, the White Sox just wrapped up the series against at the time, Major League Baseball's best offense, the Houston Astros. The White Sox end up outscoring the Astros 14-12 to 12 over four games. So this is a terrific start to Hell Week, much better than expected. However, the White Sox now go on the road as they head to Minneapolis to face now the league's best offense when the Minnesota Twins. And before we preview that series, a quick word from our sponsor, SeatGeek, with millions of live event tickets and a price match guarantee. SeatGeek proves there's a better better way to buy tickets. Search sports, live music, comedy, and more. SeatGeek has the tickets you are looking for all in one place. In an industry that tends to stagnate, SeatGeek decided to stand out from the crowd. They built the fastest way to find tickets so you can stop searching for the perfect seat and start enjoying it. Why is SeatGeek better than the rest? A quick look at the App Store shows over 50,000 five-star reviews. How's that for customer satisfaction? And it's a better process. SeatGeek pulls in millions of tickets from all over the web. They rate each ticket on a scale of 1 to 10. Green, great deals. Red dots, bad deals. Those tickets are overpriced. Stay away. And finally, SeatGeek displays them on an interactive seat map so you can see what the view is, especially if you've never been to a stadium before. You can see what that view is going to be before you enter in the stadium. And I use SeatGeek all the time to buy White Sox tickets. I just recently bought eight tickets to go to the Blue Jays game this past weekend series, and I'm sure I'll buy tickets again on SeatGeek for the upcoming homestand next week when the White Sox return to Chicago. But the best part of SeatGeek is that our listeners get $10 off your first purchase. All you need to do is just use our promo code. Download the SeatGeek app on your smartphone. Use promo code SOCKSMACHINE for $10 off your first purchase. Again, that's promo code SOCKSMACHINE for $10 off your first purchase on SeatGeek. 
And again, the Chicago White Sox are now heading to Minneapolis to face the Minnesota Twins, who have the best record in Major League Baseball. So it's like we're repeating ourselves uh, with Hell Week. Mm -hmm. The Astros lose a couple games to the White Sox. The Twins now overtake the Houston Astros for the best record. The Minnesota Twins are 33 and 16. They have won eight of their last 10 games. And this is the stat that is mind-blowing. The Minnesota Twins, as a team, have already hit 98 home runs. The Twins are on pace to hit 302 home runs in 2019. That is an insane pace, and I'm sure they are cheating. And no, I'm not so. I'm kidding. I am salty. But anyway, it's the fans at the Metrodome <laughs> turning them on. Now I'm looking uh, at their. I'm looking at their OPSs from the last week. You know, down the lineup. Yeah. 1353. This is among the regulars. 1353, 1266, 1260, 1125, 1118, 1061, 864, and Byron Buxton at 516. Buxton is the only one struggling. That's eight out of nine lineup spots that are smoking the ball right now. Yeah, I think Jason Castro has like a 960 OPS right now in the season. Yeah. He's lugging like 600. Yeah, he's scuffling. He's he's one of the the, the few scuffling. But yeah, it's just it's uh, the whole lineup is dangerous right now. Everybody is homered. Uh, well, except for the catchers, Castro and Acedillo have not homered in the last seven days. Everybody else, uh, there are ten other hitters who have had a plate appearance over the last seven days have. Yeah, they hit eight home runs in their last game against the Angels today. They set a stat cast record. Seven of those eight home runs went further than four hundred feet. So they were not cheapies. And the White Sox probable pitchers for this series that's going to try to slow down this suddenly high-powered Minnesota Twins offense. On Friday night, it'll be Ronaldo Lopez against Jose Barrios, which Barrios has done a terrific job against the White Sox. That's going to be a tough one for the White Sox offense. Saturday is going to be interesting. Rick Renteria hinted that maybe Manny Benuelos comes back from the injured list. And makes his start against Kyle Gibson. And on Sunday, it is Dylan Covey against Jake Odorizzi. And just based on pitching performance, not even including the offense, I think the Minnesota Twins have the edge here. But when you include the offense, Jim, the Twins' run differential is plus 92 on the season. That's the best in Major League Baseball. But we just saw the White Sox hold the Houston Astros to 12 runs in four games. Any chance they could do it again in Minneapolis? I don't feel great about this one, uh, just when you look at the the, the matchup, especially Banuelos, as homer-prone as he's been against the Twins. Like, if he's coming back off an injury, I don't like his chances there. And that's really the best pitching matchup because Kyle Gibson has been... You know, he's fared well against the White Sox, but he's been mediocre across the season. Brios had a, had a weird start his last time out. He uh, gave a lot of hits... Um, and, uh, yeah, part of it might have been the 15 nothing lead he was working with. Uh, that's another <laughs> incredible stat uh, that is, uh, you know, just uh, you know, shows just how much they've been pounding the ball. But Brios has been a little bit hit prone at times. Odorizzi's been, I think, the toughest maybe start to start out of all their guys. But, yeah, I just don't like the way the pitching is lining up at all, uh, especially given the, the problems with uh, hittable fastballs for especially Lopez and uh, Banuelos at times. So I don't, I I think they might be able to squeeze one out, but I don't know where. Yeah. Saturday, 
Just a high-scoring affair? Yeah, maybe. I'm thinking it has to be like a sloppy game like that. Maybe they catch Odorizzi on an off night and, and they, they manage Covey, you know, for four innings and get him out of there before he starts blowing up and maybe they get... But yeah, just right now, yeah, I don't feel... Yeah, I, I felt decent about a split at, against Houston, just looking at the matchups and seeing ways it could work. But in this case, yeah, just given how well they're playing, how well they're hitting, and just the way they're these pitchers' weaknesses line up against uh, Minnesota's strengths. I'm not really feeling great about this one. How do you feel about the Minnesota Twins long-term? Pretty good. I, I think just really I would my concern would be on the pitching side, uh, and they might be able to add to that You know, when it comes to the, the trade deadline and such. Like Martin Perez has been great. Um, you know, Brios has been great. Gibson a little bit... A little bit wobbly, but fine for a fourth starter. But there are you know, a lot of guys who haven't really done it over the course of 180 innings. And so that's what, what I wonder about. But, I mean, their bullpen, they're figuring the order of that out. Um, they've, they've had some uh, you know, hot and cold relievers, but I think they're figuring out order there. I, I really think just the um, starting rotation just might be a bit thin and, and uh, I guess, susceptible to one injury really compromising it. But otherwise, they look tough. Well, I mean, Joe Sheehan. So Joe Sheehan's newsletter, I highly recommend it if you like more in-depth, good baseball thinking as far as content. And, you know, he wrote about the Minnesota Twins that this may not be a fluke season. And, you know, for us fans of the White Sox, you have to pay attention to everyone and what they are doing in order to have a better grasp on what's going to be happening, not just for this season, but in the near future, we know that Detroit is grooming some really good pitchers right now in their farm system, led by number last year's number one pick, Casey Mize. Uh, but for the Minnesota Twins, you know, they've got a couple of top 15 prospects uh, in their farm system. We just mentioned that they have this terrific offense. Uh, I think the differences between the Twins and White Sox is that the Twins don't have like a Michael Kopech. Well, neither do the White Sox for this season. But there's just not that top-end starting pitching prospect that they have. But they do have Jose Barreos, who was someone that a lot of people in the preseason considered to be uh, a Cy Young possibility. And Jay Goderizzi has made the adjustment. He's always been a solid mid-rotation type of starter. And, you know, Kyle Gibson is dependable as far as the back end. Uh, It's just... We're quickly seeing the Cleveland Indians declining. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, as we speak, the White Sox are only two games back of the Cleveland Indians in the standings. Uh, and the Cleveland Indians just released uh, Carlos Gonzalez. So Cargo has been released uh, in late May. And I'm sure White Sox fans have some ideas for some White Sox hitters that could follow suit. Uh, again, we're not going to get back to Yonder Alonso, But... I do wonder if this is just going to be like the mid-2000s again, Jim. It's going to be Twins and White Sox competing for the American League Central once the White Sox finally get up to, I guess, the level of quality that we think that this farm system will generate in a 25-man roster. And instead of owning the division right there with them going toe-to-toe is going to be the Minnesota Twins. I see this series being... Uh, what we are going to expect to see in the next possibly five to six years. I, I hope so. Um, right now, when you look at the way the White Sox, especially you know the, the way their prospects have all hit a major wall at double A and, and the depth chart organizationally is, is kind of one ply, which you want to avoid with a rebuild. Uh, it's hard to 
Yeah, I guess the one thing is the Twins had the same doubts along the same times with Buxton taking a long time to develop uh, because of injuries, with uh, Sano having injuries. Um, you know, Kepler has been somebody who hasn't quite uh, delivered, and, and Rosario, and, and you know, all these guys who had moments and then had some flaws that, uh, especially plate discipline, like a lot up and down the lineup, a lot of plate discipline issues that made it hard for them to touch their ceiling on anything resembling a regular basis. Uh, it's all started to come together a little bit delayed, but it's happening and it seems like it's cost controlled and possible. So I'm hoping, you know, with the White Sox that they're seeing a similar thing right now where, uh, you know, the, as, as Rick Hahn likes to say, development isn't linear and, you know, the, some of these guys have struggles and you, you might want to count them out and then they come roaring back, you know, like Giolito has and Anderson and Moncada. And I think they just need a lot more of that right now. I think uh, that the, the Performances in Double A are kind of scary right now, and and a little bit uh, faith shaking uh, when it comes to the big picture. I, they might have to spend to overcome that, but uh, there is a possibility with the Twins as an example of a rebuild, thinking like it's going to come up short and then just exploding. I agree with you. I want the White Sox to be at this level, but I disagree with you. I want the Twins to go away. I think we deserve, as White Sox fans, Jim, <laughs> for being selfish for a moment. To have easy street for a few years <laughs> to make up what we've been dealing with the six previous seasons. Yeah, I guess when I look at like the AL East, I think I'd rather take one strong rival versus three of them. Oh, good point. Or the NL Central or something like that. If it's a, a two-horse race, that's preferable to other divisions we've seen. Yeah, we got to make it like the American League West. Houston may clinch that division September 1st with the way yeah, that this yep. division is going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it, it, I really wish the angels could do better. You know, whether because it's staying healthy. Yeah. Just it, it's uh, every year I keep thinking like, this is going to be the year where they just are able to, you know, stay healthy enough to have the, uh, you know, whether it's their deeper pockets or, you know, some kind of trade the deadline because, you know, they can be aggressive. They just never can summon the momentum to actually build around Trout in any meaningful yep. way. Yeah, that is true. But we'll see how this series goes. If they can win one of these three games and come away out of Hell Week, three and four, I think that's a really good result. I know some would say, no, I want the White Sox to win. They should be four and three after this road trip. The fact that they just split the series against the best team in all of baseball, a team that was incredibly red hot, like the Houston Astros were, winning 9 out of 10 games. Uh, I think this is a good sign that there are moments that this White Sox team looks like they're really starting to turn a corner, and that builds up a lot of excitement Hopefully that continues into this weekend and they do overachieve a little bit and they don't bring us back down to earth after what we have gone through in the last two games because it's been so much fun watching the White Sox Wednesday and Thursday night. But we'll be recapping as far as the Minnesota Twins White Sox series over this Memorial Day weekend. We'll have that new episode for you guys on Memorial Day on Monday. So look forward to chatting with you again. But that will do it for this edition of Sox Machine Live. For all of you that listen to the live stream on Mixler.com slash Sox Machine, thank you guys so much for doing so. A marketing 
message. We'll be doing this again in a couple of weeks for the Major League Baseball Draft Show. So make sure you bookmark this URL, Mixler.com slash Sox Machine for the fourth straight year. We will be having the Major League Baseball Draft Show covering the White Sox first round pick on Mixler.com slash Sox Machine. And again, joining me will be Jimmy Osborne from Sox Machine, Brian Billick, and James Fox from Future Sox. It'll be a very fun time as we cover the White Sox first round pick. Uh, but again, that's going to be in the next couple of weeks uh, in June when we have the Major League Baseball draft. But if you just discovered the Sox Machine podcast, you can subscribe in multiple ways. iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Audioboom.com slash Sox Machine. Sox Machine Live is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.